because you're jumping back into the gut. All right, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome Maryland head coach Brenda Fries to share the game with us. Few coaches across any sport can claim the level of consistency and standard of excellence as Brenda Fries can in her 18 years at Maryland. Fries has guided Maryland to a national championship in 2006, 16 winning seasons, three Final Fours, 12 conference titles, 16 straight 20-win seasons, seven 30-win campaigns, and 16 trips to the NCAA tournament. She was voted AP National Coach of the Year in 2002 and 2021. Coach Freeze, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me, Chris. I mean, it's an honor to, to be here. As much as I've listened to your podcast over the years, it's kind of surreal right now to be on your podcast because I have gained so many nuggets. I've shared with so many coaches your podcast, so I'm thrilled to be here. Grateful for that, and thanks for saying that. And Coach, I knew your success, but I didn't quite know the consistent level of your success. And it's just incredible. And maybe let's just start with that. Besides players, what have been some of the keys to your consistent success? Well, I I think first and foremost is I think what makes the world go around is relationships. And without that, you can't recruit great players. You can't hire a great staff. And for me, that's where it starts and, and begins and, and evolves. So for us, the, those relationships with, with people is really, really important. And it's a fabric that's really embedded into our program. Well, and that, that shone through in some of the people that I've talked to, obviously, in getting ready for this podcast, is that every one of them mentioned relationships in some context when it came to you. So I'm curious then, what is your philosophy on connecting with players? Let's start, say, maybe on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it, it's so important. I mean, right? Players really, it, it's not what you until they, they really know how much you care about them. And for me, I think that's the biggest piece. I'm a very, very active head coach uh, in the recruiting process. I always have been. Sometimes the assistant coaches can come and go. I mean, obviously, when they have big dreams and goals to be head coaches and move on to other programs. Uh, so it's always been from the time I was an assistant all the way to, to being a head coach. That, that connection to me is really, really important. It starts in the recruiting process. And then once you bring them you know, to your program here in Maryland, if I'm going to be able to motivate on the sideline in a game, really try to push the, the in practice and, and really take a player to, to a higher level in their game, I mean, being able to kind of know what motivates each and every player, I think is really important. And you have to be able to have that relationship and that dynamic to be able to shine through. So it it really is a fabric. You have to be able to build that through your communication. I mean, nowadays there's so many modes, whether it be texting and calling and face-to-face. The pandemic, it was Zoom when we weren't with our our players. So it's really just understanding how important that, that communication piece is to the relationships within your program. It's great stuff. And you mentioned challenging or pushing your players to be better. And that shone through a little bit in this podcast. So I'm interested to get your take on that. This concept of aftercare is what I phrase it. People call it different things. But after a hard practice or after a time where you've challenged players, 
what are some things that you do in the follow-up to be able to bring them back to confidence or to obviously in line with what you want? Yeah. Oftentimes it's, it's immediate. If I need it to sit a little bit, it, it might be the next day, but more times than not, say we've had a, a tough practice or a tough game, but it, it will start with the text that, that night from, from home back to them, kind of layering what, what I was looking for or trying to instill confidence in them as players. And then it's most definitely it's a, a face-to-face, the very next practice opportunity that you get. And, you know, that's a big piece to our, our program. When, when we start practice, I'm a coach that the first 10 or 15 minutes, even before we start practice, is to get down there, check in, see how our players' days are, are going, get a pulse. That, that's where I think you get a, a really good feel. And it's a, a great time to be able to just use that face-to-face with them as much as possible. I feel like over the years, so much has changed, right? I mean, you, I feel like you get a lot less time being with them and being able to layer things within your program because when they walk out your door, social media, the text messages, the calls to their family and friends that uh, are going to value what, what they want to put. I mean, sometimes that information can change. So I think the face-to-face and the more personal, the better. That's such a great point about you get less time with them, but less attention to a certain extent as well, because as you said, they're distracted by all these other things that are on their phones and et cetera. So with that, then wondering then within practice, now you're in this practice phase, what are some strategies or best practices that you've found through the years for feedback for players, especially around that needs improvement type of area? Yeah, I, I think it's important to kind of find which players like feedback that's one-on-one and, and very direct. And then a lot of players need that feedback if it's hard or if it's a praise that everybody gets to hear. So I am, and I, and, and I again, constantly kind of walk that line to, I think practices are the best time where you can kind of test that out to, especially a young player, a new player to find out kind of what makes them tick, thrive when when they're kind of called out in, in front of the group on something or do they melt down? And I'm constantly kind of looking through those, those opportunities when they present itself and really to gauge how a player is going to respond to that feedback. My assistant coaches are, are equally valuable. I mean, we, they have strong voices in our practices to coach and and mentor to the group, or obviously to take a player aside and spend that time. We we also do it through film work, so you're able to to get some dynamics there where you're able to teach and and give them some direct feedback, whether it be from the practice the day before or their their last game. So you, you've mentioned assistant coaches a few times coming and going, and when I looked to get ready for this, I mean your your coaching tree is really impressive. In terms of the people that you've had on staff and that have gone on to success in collegiate game and the NBA, uh, WNBA, et cetera. So has that always been part of your philosophy to help develop your staff as well? It, it is. And I love that the coaching tree does go in so many different directions that you just mentioned, whether it be women's college basketball or NBA, WNBA. We, we've had everyone go in, in a lot of different directions. But it is. I, I think after you get to a point as a head coach and kind of know your philosophy and know how you're teaching and what you want to coach. The mentorship to me, that aha moment, I remember an assistant coach gave me a book called Lean In when it it really was powerful for me at the time in the sense of how many people I can impact. And from my end, the 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 more, you know, 
staff and support staff. They have big picture dreams, just like I had in my time that want to continue on. And so it's layering them with the the skills and the tools, just like your players, right? I mean, they have dreams to, to continue on and maybe play at the next level. Staff, support staff have those same goals and aspirations. So I want to spend as much time as I can with the experience that I've had in my time to kind of help and guide and mentor. So I think there are so many more components to coaching than just coaching the student athlete that uh, is purely a joy when you watch them continue on into their next walk and be really, really successful in, in their career. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Great to see. And uh, not to devalue the team's speech, but I'm curious about how much motivation has changed for you in your opinion over the years from this team aspect to this individual aspect and approaching motivation from both perspectives. But I'm just curious, has that changed over the years in terms of your approach? I would say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think way back when everyone played for for the, the, the name on the front of your chest, the name on your jersey. And not to say they're not playing for that anymore, but there, there is more of an individualized package. And, and again, we've, we've all seen that through social media, through the, the attention that these players are now receiving. They're also kind of, when you look at name, image, and likeness now, it's being reinforced to take care of your brand and, and take care of your name. So obviously, as coaches, you have to evolve and you, you have to understand at this point in time, I love the fact that our players still play for the name on the front of the jersey here at Maryland. But at the same point, we're also, we can tie it in together and motivate for that brand for each and every one of our players. So it does become personal and, and individualized, but I think you, you definitely have to evolve with the times. Yeah, it's, it's fun to see that. And you mentioned the individual component, which has got to be a key part that's changed in the recruiting process as well with the advent of so many of your players going on to post-secondary playing, WNBA, Europe, et cetera, that individual cell is a big part of it as well for their individual development. How do you account for that within your program, the individual development of the player? Yeah, it's probably the biggest piece of our program and probably the one that we're most proud of is our player development piece. And when you look at our players here at Maryland, we we don't spend a lot of time on rankings. It's for us is are they the right fit and and in our program and how we play and the rest takes care of itself to be quite honest when they get in our program and our practices are built on the front end and back end for player development with coaches i'm not a a head coach that we don't have 3 hour practices i've found over the years that that ability players want to come in and work on their own games and and then do the team part and so we've you know definitely spend that time where we get down there and put in the player development piece uh, if they come early, stay late, because they have the, those windows now with, with practices being so open. Our strength and conditioning coach as well, I've put him against anyone to, to be able to prepare our players for the next level. And quite honestly, we are fortunate. Our players have transitioned really, really well going into the WNBA, playing professionally. Coach, talk to me about that aspect of players working on their own game. That's such a huge part of development is that player-led development. I'm curious then within your program, are they left on their own to figure that out? Or are there certain things that you prescribe for them that says, hey, these are things that you can develop on your own and here's how to work on it, but this is on your own? Yeah, the the player development piece for us, it's really all hands on deck, but you know, 
when you gauge each and every player, obviously we go through at the end of every season, we sit down and with our, our postseason evals and really talk about and empower our players uh, where they want to get to. So they know in their off season, the summer, the fall, throughout the entire year, kind of where, where they want to go on. But there's also times where when they come in early and we've built that structure in our practice to come in early to practice, stay late. It's a blend of both. You'll, you'll check in. Hey, hey, is there anything specifically you want to work on today? Is there uh, anything that, that you're struggling with? We love, obviously, with stats and technology, there's so many things you can pull in a season. So I remember this, this past season, we took one of our three-point shooters and showed percentages that she was shooting from the left wing compared to the right wing. And there was a stark difference. So she could be able to see that. And, and that was an area that, that she really wanted to be able to focus on was to improve the difference be- between her shots uh, on both wings. So I think it's a piece where you, you have to empower. In the summertime, I mean, we're fortunate that we do get so many weeks and, and hours to spend with our players. I love that, that our players love to be in the gym. A lot of them also have trainers. And we, we spend a lot of time talking to the trainers so that everyone's on the same page. Here's what we see. What do you see? Being able to, to really get on the same page. And I know everyone has different philosophies with the trainers and, and within their program. I kind of view it, but if, if your players in the gym wanting to get better, I don't care where it's at. They're, they're working on their game and, and they're trying to improve and they're putting in the time. They're, they're not spending it on video games and on social media. So I think the more you can, goes back to building that relationship and communication piece with the, the, the players and, and kind of who's in their camp and, and, and supporting them, I, I think is an important piece that I think you can get the buy-in from everyone. Hey coach, brief interruption from the podcast. Have you heard of Spotify Greenroom? Spotify Greenroom is a free audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start enjoying ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. I host a room every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the conversation. Follow me at B-Ball Immersion on Twitter to be notified when my room goes live. Hey coach, I really appreciate you listening to the Basketball Podcast, and I hope you will consider supporting it and your coaching even more as the countdown is over. It's here. It's live. It's been years in the making. We have launched our newly redesigned website at basketballimmersion.com. Basketball Immersion is an effective player development tool because we focus on coach development. Since we know the greatest player development is coach development, we support and stimulate change in you as a coach. Now is the time to immerse yourself in learning. In our community, we'll show you how to get specific outcomes using comprehensive video and course-based learning, as well as community interaction and expert sharing in our master classes. You will get specific outcomes to stimulate, add to, make over, or improve your coaching. Join our community today at basketballimmersion.com and learn what is possible. Yeah, I imagine that's like, it's only a positive that your players are going to get better. Whether they get better with you or without you, it's just a good situation, right? And then it's your job to be able to put them in the best situation for team success, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a win-win. Oftentimes, sometimes I know coaches can get frustrated that they want it to be just their voice my philosophy is a little different. I 
I know they hear my voice throughout an entire season. So I really empower the voices of my staff in the spring. They do all of our postseason and spring work and I'll come in and watch and mentor and layer. And then the same thing in the summer is giving them different voices, whether that be your assistant coaches and your trainers that, that are out there. And then I think as a head coach, you're also kind of teaching your assistant coaches that want to go on and be head coaches. You're teaching them how to take some moments and be able to lead and also to kind of see what it's like when, when you're coaching and as a head coach, what, what that command looks like on the floor. So be, being able to build on it. It's, it's great. It's a great conversation. Cause I imagine the the coaches that run into a bit of a struggle with trainers might be the ones that have more absolutes when it comes to certain things, like absolutely you must catch it with two feet versus a one, two or something like that. Right. But essentially I find the best coaches that I've talked to through this podcast are the ones that are very adaptable in terms of, we don't need as many absolutes. We just need you to be effective. Right. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think if the pandemic didn't te- co- teach coaches to be adaptable, you're probably not going to get it. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to be able to to be flexible. You have to be able to change with the times. I can think of in, in my career so many times when we've had a setback. And out of those setbacks, I mean, you learn so much about yourself. And 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 I think one of the things is being able to to adapt through it all. And I think that was the biggest uh, lesson. I, I, I kind of used this past season, you know, starting later in the season, I kind of decided to test myself. I'm going to put in less offensively this year and kind of spend um, tweaking some things and see what it looks like. And it was kind of a fun experiment to have less time and be able to see that I was able to get as much as I normally would get in in a regular season if I just pace myself a little bit and, and not try to put it all in at once. So. I think there's so many things you can continue to keep learning if if you are flexible and and adapt and when obviously working with different people like you said with trainers I mean you want to have a, a relationship there you you don't want it to be a top down where now all of a sudden your student athlete feels guilty for going to their trainer or vice versa you don't have that relationship I feel like that's going to be a lose lose on on both ends. So the, the word that when you're talking about player development I want coaches to know and I want you to expand on is layer. You talked about layering, and I think that's got to be probably the key to all player development is the fact that you're going to constantly layer. Can you talk about the different ways that you add challenge for a player to be able to develop? Yeah, I, I think any specific move, right? I think if you started in the post and you're just looking at a drop step layup to just a, a power finish, you're going to start slow in, in those moves. And then you're going to build that thing out. You're, you're going to go to a, to a counter. You're going to go to an up and out, up and under. Then you might go to different hook shots and you'll start building that thing all the way out to some sort of range, depending on the player. I think you could say the same thing with, with your guard play as well. If you're, you're working on a specific move, being able to, to either come off the screen use a screen, you're, you're going to build those different movements in different directions with, with your perimeter play. So I think it, it keeps your players interested, excited. You don't want them to, to be stale, but I also think you kind of want to get them to be able to master that skill before you, you extend out and, and go into areas that, that they aren't going to be able to show their, their strength. 
Well, I, I know originally one of our connections was your husband, Mark, who uh, reached out to me and he wanted to have, I think, more soccer conversation, which is cool too. But uh, he, he talked to me about nonlinear development and he talked to me about some of those aspects that you just addressed right there, which is that coaching is more nonlinear and you can't always script what every kid will respond to. And I assume that's a view that you both share. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, he enjoys all of that area. Soccer for me, I mean, I've got to be able to use my hands. That's that's why it was basketball all the way for me. I mean, a lot more scoring in, in basketball than, than there is in, in soccer. But but it is. I think that I've been really fortunate and, and blessed to coach so many um, talented players here at Maryland. And the, their ability, no player is the same when, when you talk about a Christy Tolliver, Alyssa Thomas. Crystal Langhorn. I mean, there's their ability to, they really challenge you and motivate you as a coach that to be able to take their games and continue once they've mastered something to, to be able to take it up to, you know, even another level within their game. Well, Ashley and Diamond are a great example of that from this past year, right? Like they're very, very unique players and very uniquely talented. And I enjoyed watching your team play, I think, because of the dynamic of you trying to figure out how to use those two types of players. And it was really interesting to watch. Yeah, no question. And and it's it's still evolving when you just talk about that they're both just sophomores. It was fun pulling up their stats after their freshman year because, again, one had better left-hand finishes over the other one who had better right-hand finishes. So therein lied in the offseason, hey, we got to work on the left-hand, right-hand with these finishes after they saw the, the statistics. They brought that back into their their sophomore campaign. So now all of a sudden it's expanding their game to be three level scorers, right? To to be able to to stretch their games every single time, every every season, every year. And those two are, are uh, going to make a lot of money playing at the next level. But they're so talented, but couldn't be any more different when when you talk of kind of the power game of a, a Ashley Wusu and her mid range game. And then you get a Diamond Miller in the open court and a really dynamic slasher that can also shoot the three and get downhill and, and mix it up. So two players that, that really play really well off of each other. Well, and I enjoyed watching. And, so, and when I watched the first time, I, I watched again because I wanted to come back and find out how you got them in space, too. And I think that, that that's something that you're creating, trying to create some double gaps and some different opportunities for them to be drivers and and get into space a little bit as well. And can you talk about that? Is that always been a part of your philosophy? Yeah, I think, again, coaches, you have to learn your rosters and, and really play to your strengths. I mean, sometimes, and that's what I'll say as a head coach, is if you're not continuing to evolve. And when I first came to Maryland, I came from Bill Fenley, who I learned the triangle offense. And that triangle offense worked really well with Brianna Jones. But then all of a sudden, you see our players becoming a lot more versatile and you you've got to be able to to understand that versatility so we moved more to a a hybrid type of motion even this next year we're going to tinker with some four out five out just because our roster has changed so much but it is two years ago our our team was top 25 defensively in the country we were a defensive-led team and then all of a sudden you you flip into this season and a pandemic, we added some transfers and we were the number one scoring team in the country. And all of a sudden with limited practice time, we had to really look at and within our sets and within our offense, 
we had Ashley and Diamond and then ended up having Katie Benson, who has led the nation in three-point shooting. So to be able to really find for Ashley and Diamond, they're so good coming off of ball screens. They're so good come, going downhill, being able to, to allow that penetration to happen, to get downhill, to also draw defenders, to be able to make easy plays for Katie Benson, who once they were able to find their, their rhythm there, were able to get her some, some really easy shots. And then that kind of fell in place with our team when you kind of looked at the, the strengths and of every single player, we were able to kind of really build around those two and, and their ability to, to use them off the bounce and, and being able to, to make a lot of plays within the team. Well, Katie, it's a fascinating thing because 50% from three is incredible. But also looking at your roster and just going, well, you didn't really have that many high volume, high percentage three-point shooters. So in a way, the fact that she shot such a high percentage and everyone knowing that she was your main shooter is also remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it really really was. I mean, she came in grad transfer from Harvard and she was a 50-50 and 90% shooter, 50% from the field, 50% from three and 90% from the free throw line. And obviously being new in our system, had no expectation of what it was going to look like. But again, I, I think this team was really, really efficient. You had to be, I mean, we ended up having six players average in double figures to, to lead the nation. So when, when you have a team built like that, everybody's going to sacrifice. They're, they're going to share. And, but I, I think they, they really learned what was a great shot, what wasn't a good shot, but what was a great shot that they didn't have to take difficult shots. So just that chemistry was really remarkable to be able to watch it, you know, unfold throughout the season. So let's start with defense. You mentioned you had a defensive focused team a few years ago, but I think one of the other switches is that you went to more switching, right? Defensively. Can you yeah. talk about that process and maybe some of the, some of the best practices you learned to be able to develop switching within your team? Yeah, I think that's the the fun part. I, I make no mistake about it that, when I came up as a young coach, I mean, I loved offense. I think it goes back to my six on six days when I, I played in Iowa. I got to play all the way through eighth grade. And then in high school, we, we made the switch. So I've always been wired on, on the offensive end. So it's really through my career took me time of like trying to figure out what do I like defensively? Because I had so much time that I loved on the offensive end. And I have spent a lot of time in that in that area. But, but it really had evolved a few years before that. I had an assistant coach on my staff, Caitlin Frotz, who had come from the Division II level and had played a, a switching man and had started kind of talking about it and kind of alerted me to it. And then we, we kind of started watching Texas Tech with Chris Beard and, and their team that season. So we kind of started thinking about it. And then in the offseason, was fortunate enough, our past crossed Under Armour host men's and women's basketball coaches. And we were out in Puerto Rico and I was able to, to find the time and just pick his brain on it because I, I was super curious. And he was so gracious and spent so much time. I think the biggest concern for me was in that switching defense, how much you were going to give up with those mismatches. And he really gave me a lot of confidence that it wasn't as much as you, as you would think. And so we were all in. I mean, we, we came back and studied it, prepared. We were making plans to go out, obviously, when the, when the pandemic hit. But as much as you can get now online and video and be able to put the, the time in. So it really was the year that we made the switch was the year that our team was top 25 in the country. We had never 
you know, been in the top 25 defensively, been there many times offensively, but, but not defensively. So just being able to, I guess, have the confidence, the courage to be able to put things in. I think that's where you evolve as a coach is learning to, to kind of trust yourself. And it's, it's been a switch that I've really, really welcomed and, and, and enjoyed. Curious, maybe first your thoughts, like one of the reasons I like switching is because I'm an offensive focused person too. So it simplified defense for my team so that we could focus more on offense and skill development, which are two areas where I felt that made the biggest impact. Is that similar for what you found? A hundred percent. I think sometimes when you're spending so much time of, are you going to ice a ball screen and jam it and double it? And not to say there, there's a couple wrinkles we might make off of it, but it definitely allows you to put your your focus in other things or your full court press and then your zone, your 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 a lot within your offense. So no question. I think it makes it simple. I think the rules are easy where your kids don't have to overthink and uh, they can just play hard and and they understand the concepts. So the other thing is that in watching college women's basketball, the, the top five, top ten, whatever, the teams that you need to beat to win a national championship all seem to still have a dominant post player, which is not necessarily the case in other, other levels of basketball right now. So did that lead to you developing triple switching, scram, whatever you call some type of situation at the rim to be able to get your littles out and your bigs in on switches? Yeah. Again, those are, are different wrinkles, right? I mean, we fell into that this past season when they would switch Katie Benson, who is five, six into the post. And so we, we, we would, we would switch her out when, when we could. It also taught your team, if she did get stuck in there, just how the white line help was going to be huge. That backside help is, is really, really important. There's also the ability to be able to double down on that with a dominant big, wh- where that help is going to come from. Our players also started to kind of learn that that high-low pass, that wing pass for a lot of players is, is more difficult than it appears. So we would get a lot of those easy over-the-top passes by being in white line help or presenting that it was open and, and then being able to, to be able to go get it. But again, I think it all starts with your ball pressure. If you have a dominant big inside and, and you, you don't have any ball pressure, it doesn't matter the size uh, of, of what you're doing in the switching defense if you're not able to, to have great ball pressure. So just talk to coaches about white line help. What does that mean in your system? Yeah, um, obviously with the switching a lot or fronting the post. So that white line help, we put a tape down through the center of the net all the way going up to the top of the key when we're in practices and we start layering our defense early. So when the ball's on the wing, you're constantly going to be in in white line help. You're, you're going to be there uh, for that over the top. I find our kids are athletic enough, quick enough. You anticipate those skip passes that, that are able to go. I mean, you're able to get out there while, while the ball is in the air. So just having that presence for, for both your players, I think it helps off of penetration. It helps to, to build your defense inside and then out. So white line helps splitting the helpline if there's a, a post front going on, or are you on the other, on your own ball side of the helpline? We're, we're splitting the white line. Splitting. We're definitely splitting the white line. And obviously if you, you know, came across to Katie Benson, you, you might take one more step out and, and, and be there a little bit sooner, but we, we definitely want, want to be able to make people beat you from the perimeter and make those 
shots that, that are less of a percentage compared to getting those pain points that I think are, are a lot easier to, to, to get. How about that? I've got one of the greatest offensive coaches around and we're talking defense coach. What's going on? <laughs> What's but, um, I, I have one more question on defense, if I could. And that's just this concept of switching and about teaching your players when they actually don't need to switch. Because sometimes we're automatically switching when sometimes the screen is not even necessary to switch. How did you solve that? Or did you even bother trying to solve that? That's a constant work in progress because you'll find as the season goes on, your players will get lazy in their switches and, and, and just automatically do it. I think that was always a constant in our staff meetings was trying to make it more clear and defined for our players. But then again, you don't want them overthinking and, and you don't uh, want it sometimes to always be black and white because the, the game isn't played that way. So at the end of the day, I think we really went back to the, the communication is, has to be there. If you, if you stay, you stay, but if you switch, it's got to be communicated. And I think that's where we kind of settled on in the season. It's definitely a big picture going into next season is just looking more at, like you said, I think there's times when as people start to scout you, if you do it all the time, they're also going to have their counters to that. Hey coach, brief interruption from the podcast. Have you heard of Spotify Green Room? Spotify Green Room is a free audio only social media platform for sports fans. Start enjoying ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. I host a room every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the conversation. Follow me at B-Ball Immersion on Twitter to be notified when my room goes live. Coach, we appreciate your support of our sponsors that help make the basketball podcast available to you. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with code SD. Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. Enjoy their butter tender, filet mignon, hearty Kansas City strip steaks, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. Great stuff. I really enjoy talking about that, but let's get to some offense and let's start with, I mean, you guys are excellent in transition and just curious, how do you practice the pace? We spend a lot of time in transition and it's a big piece of who we are. I mean, we want the ball advanced. Some seasons we do it, some some years we don't based on, on the team or how many new players, but I mean, it's got to be down the court in less than three seconds. And that's whether it's with a pass or, or coming across half court. We want to put that heat. We want to put as get as many offensive possessions as we can get. Love games where you can get 80, 90 possessions in, in a game. But it's a, a big piece from when we start in the fall, we start teaching our transition. Ours is a little different than most where we, we come down the middle of the court. We're not a sideline break. We put the heat on numbers, reading two-on-ones, three-on-twos. We do a lot of breakdown drills based off of that. I think our players love playing that way because it's not always a traditional point guard. I mean, our players have the freedom, which I love to rebound and go, get a steal and go, go create those numbers. 
And that can be your six, two forward. If they, they can handle it, they're, they're going to go. I mean, I love the fact when, when you watch Alyssa Thomas play with the Connecticut sun and they call her the engine. And I know when, when she came here in college, I mean, she was a huge piece. I mean, she was running our break a lot. And when you have a six, two versatile, big guard forward hybrid that is coming down, it's really, really hard to stop. And you see that at the next level with her game, with, with how she's able to, to be able to push and transition. So it's a, a big piece of our program. So talk to me. So you're primarily trying to attack the middle. Do we have designated spots or are players free to go to any spot that they get to first? What are the responsibilities in terms of that first? Yeah. No, it's again, this transition was brought to me, you know, by my assistant at the time, Joanna Burnaby, who's uh, now the head women's coach at uh, Boston College. And she took me out to dinner and wanted to convince me I was running a break for round one at the time. And they ran this break at West Virginia. And it was great. I was open minded. Obviously, she sold me on it. And we've never gone back. I mean, we won it with our 2006 national championship team. Now, when I have assistants that try to sell me to go back, I, I don't want to do it. And, and they've tried. But what's really, I, I love that it's based on lanes where the first two players head to the block. And you could be a guard, you could be a, a, a post. It, it's really that incentive to, to be able to push down on both ends. And obviously, then your guards or whoever's pushing, I mean, you're able to create numbers from, from there. You, you have to be able to stop the ball handler and you have to be able to stop those that, that are coming down, sprinting really, really aggressively. And then your other two are trailing on the wings. And again, it's it's phenomenal because you'll have trail threes for your great three-point shooters that have the green light to shoot when they can step in and, and get a trail like that. You also, we, we have versatile forwards now that, that can trail and, and shoot the three. Mimi Collins for us this year was sensational coming down and, and being able to shoot the three. So our transition is really built out of that. Then we go into some down screens. We have a couple of wrinkles out of that as well, based on, um, again, the strength of your roster, whether it be a staggered a shooter coming off a stagger screen or wanting to get a cross screen. I mean, there's some, some secondary you, you can do a, around it, but a big piece of our, our practice schedule, we, we spend every day, five to 10 minutes in transition every single day. No, that's great. And so coaches visualizing it at home, it's it's basically you're running to a 3-2 kind of setup or alignment. You're not staying there, but that's the initial look where you're trying to get two to the rim, point guard push or point guard hit down the middle, and then two trails. Those trails you ideally want on opposite sides, or can they be same side sometimes? Yeah, yeah opposite sides. I mean, yeah. kind of trail to, to the three. We've also worked on the blur screens and transition and rub screens that, that you have. I mean, different, different years based on, on your point guard, you can kind of center that to the side, but yeah, I mean, when you're too pushed to the block, they're on the right side and in the left side. And that's through your reps and your practices where people have to have to learn right side and left side and who's up in front. Three people never run to the same side. So you have to be able to have that balance and that's something for us that, again, is taught really, really early. There's there's a buildup, but it's a, it's a fun way to play. I mean, who doesn't want to create numbers and two-on-one opportunities or three-on-two opportunities? Just making those, those simple plays and easy plays on the offensive end are a lot of fun. And then, obviously, if that you're, you're not able to get a quick hit, you're, you're able to set up offense. But it really does put a lot of pressure on the defense, transition defense for teams, having to 
figure out matchups and, and, and how they want to defend it. Reflecting on some of the teams that we played against that ran similar type of break and alignment and spacing, our hardest coverage was the ball because it took away some helpers with two at the rim. And I'm curious then, what are some of the progression of reads that you teach to your, we, we say point guard push, but essentially it could be any players, what you're talking about in your system that can handle. So what are some of the progressions of reads you give to them? Yeah, we even start with breakdowns of two people. So it's uh, an outlet off the glass with with your point guard or whoever's pushing to to your kick ahead, right? I mean, you initially, if you can get that one-on-one with, with the kick ahead, with the, the speed, and the speed that we have on our roster, we'll, we'll go to the kick ahead. Then we'll, we'll do different reads where the point guard will come down and just pump it in to post up. We'll, we'll utilize our size on a, on a post up. Then we'll also create where the point guard is coming down hard, push into the free throw line, and then a dummy D or a coach out there or a scout player. And it's a two-on-one read where shot for, for the guard that's pushing tempo. It could be a dump down to your player on the block and what's making those reads two-on-one. And then we'll build that, right? We'll add a third. So then you're working that third where you're bringing that trail in. So if you've working on the right side, your first one's down to the block, your second one is coming uh, trail on the wing. Now you're working the options of point guard push, hit the trail for the three point guard hit, hit the trail to the dump in inside, kind of working that that two man game to to the side. So a lot of our things, are, I, I like to go kind of big picture hole and show it so they have an understanding. We'll show video, we'll, we'll walk through it on the court, then we'll break down and then kind of build that progression back up. So um, utilizing it all. So I guess the other part that goes with that is then what happens when the ball slows down? You talked about flowing into some different types of actions. Now I'm curious then, are they set actions or are they some automatics or possibilities depending on who's where, or how do those actions flow when the ball slows down? Yeah, um, for us, we, we have a couple counters. I mean, sometimes obviously, you're going to have different lineups, right? So you might have a guard on the block and, and a big that's trailing on the wing. And if you don't get anything, you're going to have a simple down screen, right? Or you could have a back screen. And sometimes just out of that movement, right, you're going to get a hit that your guard's going to come open on the down screen or after they fly out at your shooter, you're going to get that that inside. We also, over the years, and depending on your personnel, if we have two bigs on one side and two guards on the other side, We'll change it where if we have a great shooter, we'll bring them off a stagger screen. So the opposite guard on the two-man side will, will come off a stagger screen for, for a shot. If we have a dominant big, like when we had Brianna Jones, we would just set a simple, if she was on the block and she was the first one down with another big, we would cross screen down screen. So we'd bring the guard over to give her a cross screen and then the big on the wing would down screen just using those different alignments, which are kind of fun, right? That um, you can over the years kind of tinker with based on your personnel. We haven't run the cross screen a lot anymore just because we we haven't had that that back to the basket big that, that wants to be down there. So it's just changing up your personnel. And then if we don't, we don't like it or we, we, we flow automatically, whether that's into, we can flow into our motion or we can flow into a set that from the sideline that, that we're able to call. Great stuff. It's fun to talk offense. And I've run the triangle. I love the triangle. 
And you mentioned blur cuts, which is essentially driving off the inside cut in the triangle, which is one of the best things that I took from the triangle. I'm curious if there are other parts of the triangle and your experience in using it that you've been able to use in other parts of obviously offensive teaching. Yeah, I mean, we obviously aren't using it anymore, but the, the obviously the the two man game. I mean, we we had a lot of success. We started using Marissa Coleman at the time in the pinch post, and and started using her and Christy Tolliver back in the day with with that tandem. And man, that that was a combination to be able to see. I mean, you you, you had to guard both of them. So whether it was Marissa in the pinch post to hand off the ball screens, you pick and pops we were able to to be really, really successful in, in, in that two-man game. And then I think you're able to, you know, I really enjoyed the triangle. I probably stuck to it longer than than I probably should have, just, you know, given that, that I felt very comfortable teaching it. But we ran a lot of sets off of it as well. You know, when the ball went, went into the corner, back screen, on ball screen, on your three-man side, or Again, you you just utilizing your strong side and your three man side versus uh, your your two man side within your team. Well, you talked about the uh, two man action of the pinch post, which is again nowadays it's essentially gets is what people call them, and they're more random pinch post post actions anywhere on the floor. So, are you using any aspects of that type of stuff, the the pitch and goes or gets or whatever you call them? Uh, yeah, no no question. I mean. The, this past season when we kind of went to a little bit of a hybrid motion and we spent more time, I would say it, it started it evolved between using pick and roll just because Ashley and Diamond were, were so good with pick and roll. But we also then led to, to a lot of handoffs and be able to utilize in, in, in that in that pinch post area or kind of extending it in the slot area. So Again, I think just being able to utilize it off your personnel where where they felt comfortable as we kind of evolved as a team. I think we were more comfortable with the pick and roll and pick and pop and spending more time there than we were being able to use as much of the pinch post or the the dribble handoffs this season than than in years past. You mentioned hybrid motion a few times here. So can you just describe what do you mean by hybrid motion in your terminology? Yeah, again, I mean, a lot of people, I think with their their motion four out or five out, oftentimes have high post player that are working from the top for us. It was kind of, again, probably a blend of both when when you talk about a three-man side and a two-man side where we were able to really utilize ball screens to being able to reverse the ball through your slot area to your two-man game. So we we spent a, a lot of time kind of working both sides of it. But again, most of our players, when you look at last year's team, were face-up. They didn't want to screen and roll. It was more a pick and pop to being able to attack off the bounce. So with, with our personnel, we kind of we utilized our offense to to be able to play to those strengths. Having coached for so long and been so successful, I'm just curious, maybe what are some of the things that you love about how the game has changed? Just the access. <laughs> I mean, you can start with your podcast. I mean, there's so many podcasts. And I remember back in the day, I mean, we didn't have podcasts that we could listen to. And I laugh when I got my start, it was going to Nike coaches clinics in person and listening to as many coaches out there that you could. And now it's, you can go to the internet and 
you can pull up anything. You can buy videos, you can buy books, you can study the game. You just you, you go to Twitter and all the hits that, that, that you put out there. And there, there's so many things at your fingertips and, and the access that you can have that as a young, young coach, really anyone, right? I mean, when you want to study something, you're, you're able to find it. And it's great. I mean, even from my end, I was texting with a coach that Pat Clatchy, Mount St. Joe's, and sharing with him that I was looking at some different things. He's my guy that is my guru. And hey, I'm, I'm looking at some four out, five out offensive things. And he gives me, you know, a list of all these coaches. And he's like <laughs> an encyclopedia of People don't even know what an encyclopedia is anymore, but just this list of great things. So just the access that, that you can find and different things is huge. Well, I'm grateful for that. And this podcast essentially started for that reason that essentially a lot of podcasts were just media-based podcasts instead of actually coaching tactics and philosophy and technique and stuff. So it's been amazing to be able to share the game that way. I'm curious if that's had a similar effect you found on players, that players have a better understanding of certain things than they used to simply because they have access to resources. Yeah, absolutely. Those those that uh, put their time into it, you can definitely tell which players are in it and watch games all the time. And then for for some, not so much. There, there's a more probably balance with a, within their, their college life. But there's so much more when you think about what we can lend to our players on iPads and games and and what we can watch back and definitely their iqs are at a, a lot higher level than than they've ever been coach incredible resource we have with you as well so just curious then all of these lessons that you've learned through your life what are some things that uh, you, you suggest for coaches to take a maybe a deeper look at in terms of their individual improvement yeah i mean i think the first thing i would say is just like never stop learning that's the, the the biggest thing. Sometimes when you have just a top-down mentality that if, if you think, but all, I've been in this career for a long time and I'm far from it. I constantly want to learn something new every single day. And that's even from within your own staff. I mean, we circle back after every game and the next day we talk about what we learned from the game. And some of it can be personal for us as coaches and did we miss a timeout here or did we miss information wise uh, to be able to share the game and just to keep growing and keep getting better. And I, I think that's a big piece is I love to learn. I that, That's why I think for me, podcasts and reading and watching as much as I can with, within the game just continues to to improve your knowledge to be the best coach possible. And, and, and then self-help books and different things, you know, having great balance. It's not just the X's and O's. There's like I've said at the beginning, relationships and people and knowing yourself. And so a lot of dynamics to, to just continue to keep making yourself better. Just tremendous stuff, coach. I cannot thank you enough for sharing the game with us and just an incredible career for us to be able to learn from. So thanks for sharing. Oh, well, thank you so much, Chris, for having me and really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.